0: Welcome to the Howl, Humberview Secondary School's original academic interview show on the Howl Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris. While Pack It In is about student life, the purpose of our show is to showcase and promote the academic opportunities here at Humberview by talking directly to the staff that make it happen. Today, we will be talking to Miss Bond, who is behind the Writers' Crafts and Aboriginal Studies programs here at Humberview. Well, hello, Ms. Bond, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's nice to be here. All right, so I think we'll start off by talking about writer's craft. So how does writer, writer's craft differ from the regular English course?
1: Um, I actually asked this question of my students because I think I have one interpretation of it, um, and I wanted to see what they were thinking. Um, and fortunately, it seemed to line up with what I think. Some of their answers were uh, that there's less structure um, to assignments, Um, which then gives them more in the way of creative expression, that it's a course where they have a chance to learn how to write both professionally and creatively. Um, And so there's only one essay in the course, and I had students say that they felt like their creative assignments and receiving uh, critique for that actually helped them be better essay writers. One student (laughs) <laughs> said and I quote less pointless assignments which I was really touched <laughs> by and another student said that it's a course where they really get a chance to know each other better um, because they're actively engaging with reading each other's work and some of those works are nonfiction. Uh, it's really participatory students get a chance to talk a lot and so some students this morning when I asked them said uh, I've known some of the people in my class since middle school but I didn't really know them until this course
0: That sounds pretty great. So what sorts of things do you do in Writers' Craft?
1: It's structured into sort of content-based assignments. So we start off looking at nonfiction, um, and uh, we look at works of nonfiction written by various published authors and study sort of the techniques that they're using, and then the students get to implement that into their own work. We do active sort of critique circles in class of their work, which leads us into doing fiction um, and looking at different types and structures of fiction. So whether we're looking at short stories or we're looking at script writing, we look at graphic texts, and then students have a chance to write about one particular topic or experience, and they write it in uh, two different um, fiction forms. So whether they're taking an experience and they're writing about it in a short story and then they're putting it into the context of a graphic text, they have to think about um, how to effectively represent that. There is a unit on poetry, um, where students get to write and study different forms of poems, and that culminates in our slam poetry competition. And then uh, there is one independent study essay on a Canadian author. There is a presentation talking about uh, what it means to be a writer and have a craft of writing. Um, And than our exam's portfolio-based.
0: Hmm. Well, So, not too long ago, I went to the Poetry Salem competition, and I thought it was really great. Can you tell us more about it?
1: Oh, awesome. I'm glad to hear you were there. <laughs> it's something that I wanted to do to be able to celebrate the works of poetry that students are doing. I'm a big poetry geek. Like, I feel like of all of the units in the course, it's probably my favorite one to teach and see sort of the results that students come up with. Um, And I find a lot of the time, they're very apprehensive going into it, because they feel like uh, with different varieties of writing, the one they've had the least exposure to in school um, is poetry. And so it's always this really neat moment for me when I see students sort of willing to put themselves out there emotionally and performatively and really like take the house down with these absolutely fantastic poems and so it's kind of a celebration like it's our last unit for that reason i think it's the most difficult i think it takes the biggest degree of challenge i think it's the one they're the least familiar with um but the poetry slam is sort of a celebration of those results so uh we actually have some clips from this year's poetry slam uh, so you're about to hear our uh, top three winners, um, and that would be uh, in third place we have Ashley, uh, in second place we have Gabe, and in first place we have Emma. So if you see these students around, feel free to congratulate them.
0: Thank you very much, Ms. Bond.
2: Next up, we have Ashlyn with Human.
3: My name's Ashley and my poem's called "Suitman." I just want to give out a bit of a content warning to everyone because I do talk about like anxiety and depression and I do make reference to other mental illnesses and also reference to self-harm and there's some swearing so if any of this stuff bothers you, you can take a walk if you need to. So yeah. Most of you probably look at me and think, hey, that's the girl who used to sing in every elementary talent show or she's the one who does her makeup when she's bored and alone. Maybe you'll think, that's the girl who cried in class and got kicked out of it in grade 10. Or maybe it's that's the privileged white girl who lives in Palgrave and has lots of friends. How many of you can look me in the eyes and tell me you've been there for me when I've cried? Since I was eleven, the worst thing about me was trying to sleep but being unable to breathe. Trying to speak with no words coming out, starting to feel faint until I crumble to the ground. Jokes about depression are thrown left and right, and everywhere I turn I hear I just want to die. People say, it gives me anxiety when, or I'll just off myself then, but how many people can truly say that they didn't want to live to see another day? Why is it beautiful to be in pain? Photos of pills and self-harm online for a Tumblr display? We talk about ending the stigma, and I'm glad the stigma's changed, but sometimes I think that it's gone too far in some ways. It's human to be sad, and it's human to struggle, and it's human to be nervous, and it's human to have trouble but people wear mental illness like a label and say things like, I just had a panic attack. I thought my phone was in my pocket, but I left it on the table. We live in a world where blogs on the internet post images of self-harm as an aesthetic. Do you know what it's like to feel like cutting your skin is the only way to escape the pain that's within? Do you know what it's like to wake up every morning and want to do nothing but disappear? Every morning, I'd look in the mirror. I'd hate what I'd see, but I'd start to get ready. I'd ride the bus to school, one of the places I'd struggle most, but nobody knew. I'm so OCD, I need my binder to be organized neatly. Or, I'm so bipolar. One minute I'm happy, but the next I'm pissed off, and these stupid phrases just keep getting older. The more I hear people say, wow, he's retarded, or you are insane, the more I have wanted to stand up here and say, do you know what it's like to go through these things? Do you know how it feels to be empty and alone and feel worse and worse with each thought that you think?
4: Do you know how it feels to reach out for help in you? You'll get a call in about a month, but it's been three fucking months, and I haven't heard you. I just want to get well. Do you know what it's like to feel nothing but broken even once you finally got your feelings out of the open? Do you know what it's like to be told you don't matter? For me, it seems like each day is getting sadder. It's so hard to find somebody to trust, except in the one person I know that I love. It's hard to be strong, and it's hard to move on, and it's hard to hear anxiety and depression thrown around like lyrics to a song or a slogan on a t-shirt at Forever 21. It's hard to pretend to be alright sometimes, and it's hard to remember that it's human to cry. It's hard to go to school when you were just up all night wishing it was possible to go back in time, to right your wrongs or relive your best moments or just back to a time when you didn't feel like this. It's human to hurt, and it's human to feel alone, and it's human to cry, and to skip a night out so you can stay home. It's human to not be okay, and if there's anything I would like you to take from what I've said today, then please hear what I'm about to say. Be a little kinder, and stop saying hurtful things. This is your reminder that mental illnesses are not adjectives. I'm living proof that it's okay to show your weakness, that it doesn't make you lesser, but it doesn't make you better. Mental illness is not something pretty, and it does not make you more interesting. Let's stop posting romanticized pain on the internet for followers to see and later forget about it. Instead, let's all be nicer and remember it's human to feel this way. Let's be there for each other and turn our weakness into strength.
1: So, uh, next up we have Emma with my friends still follow her on Instagram.
2: warning for mine. Uh, It does have, like, mentions and metaphors for abusive relationships. Um, uh, That's pretty much it. My friends still talk to her on Instagram. There are four people active right now and they all have her added to their best friends list and they send her smiles and heart emojis. They aren't afraid. I always think of her as a pitcher plant. Of a beautiful facade that lures you in with false promises of nectar, sweet pools of life-sustaining liquid that I craved, being a kid with no friends, no one to turn to, no one on my own best friends list, which had been empty and dust-covered for far too long, in my own opinion, so I dove, face first, into that sticky, hard-to-shake pool, and it was sweet the pool I fell into, the pool of promises, the pool of sleepovers where she slapped herself when I talked about other friends because she couldn't bear to think of me with someone other than her. She hated that list when she wasn't alone on it. The pool of convention halls where she told me I couldn't go if I didn't match her costume with my own. The pool of telling me she could be the only one on my best friend's list. That pool was disguised as a safe haven as a house I was welcome at, as a friend whose arms I could fall into when I had a bad day or when I broke up with my boyfriend. But that picture-plant girl told me that she was glad it happened because my wandering eyes that never caught her own were the reason for her depression. She said if I kept looking, she'd cut herself, bleed out in the bathtub that was kept in the washroom where she did my makeup so many times and wiped my tear-stained eyes in so many times with a microfiber cloth. Which was as soft as her words were rough. It would be my fault. I was enslaved in her ring of friendship acting as nothing but a pawn who was ordered to act certain ways and talk to certain people and never ever forget that she would be the only one on my list. My neighbor told me I was being abused and that girl told people I was the reason for her suicidal thoughts. These people I love, these people I miss, these four people who still have her added to their best friends list on Instagram, despite how afraid it makes me for their safety and for my own, because that pool is thick and cold and so hard to swim in, and yet I'm here. Despite how hard she tried to drown and digest me, I'm still here with the people who love me and the friends who protect me from pools like her throw in ropes of laughter and support that pull me away from pitcher plants or Venus fly traps luring me away from something I would struggle to escape from and now I'm in a forest of trees which give me oxygen and energy to keep me alive and well and which keep my best friends lists full.
1: Um, So, next up, we have Gabe with Not Sorry.
5: Okay, so there's a few things I want to say quickly. There is some, well, there is some language that, you know, we wouldn't usually use, I'd hope, and um, some, like, mild, like, suggestive sexual content. It's, It's very mild. You might not even catch it. And then like a quick shameless self-promotion. The dance showcase is third period in the... Uh, <laughs> over there. Okay, so this poem's called Not Sorry. The definition of an apology has changed. If I was fucking saying fucking as a universal fucking adjective, it would mean fucking nothing. <laughs> Today's apologies literally are just formalities of wasted breath. Like when you listen to your new favorite song on repeat for a week and then you don't notice it because you've heard it so many times. People drop apologies like paper towel dispensers to clean up their messes and forget about them once they're in the wastebasket or rather the blue bin because we mix I'm sorry into so many sentences just to cure our guilty conscience the quickest. The home remedy for a sickness that can be described as nothing other than meaningless, a lie, a waste of time. Why don't people realize they've forfeited their impact? Now there's no way or phrase or words to convey an admission of guilt, true sympathy, or full surrender of pride. How do I know you mean it when past actions have proven nothing other than a picture of a con man's fake business card? People scold me for holding grudges, but if I had a ring for every O in sorry, I'd have chainmail. I could go on a crusade and stop every tiger tooth that tried to bite me for calling them out on not changing, but merely hiding their stripes. Just because you say sorry doesn't mean you haven't done it before and won't do it again. Not everything is breaking up with your girlfriend saying, sorry, babe, it's just me, it's not you right now. And then later going to Rebecca's house saying, don't worry, I'm going to break up with her soon. Today's apologies are like giving every person 365 one-night street parking passes and then and then advertising the no parking legislation. We spread the epidemic in kindergartens when Johnny steals Jessica's cookie, we sit him down to apologize, give Jessica the virtue award for her understanding. Johnny still eats the cookie and that's a pretty damn good deal for Johnny. (laughs) Perpetuating the idea that forgiveness is a cheap tart. A little bit of money goes a long way and you're still getting off at the end of the day, am I right? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines sorry as a feeling of sorrow, regret, or penance, And I'd say that makes us Canadians some pretty depressed people. Sorrow is further defined as a deep distress or grief, sadness. I'm waiting for those things to set in when you realize that we've sacrificed the one word supposed to help us in those darkest moments. Like when you forget to drive your friend to her brother's funeral or you lose the earrings that you stole for a night on the town when your mom was saving them with her gown for your wedding day. What are you going to say to them? Are you going to tell them you're sorry like you didn't do your homework or you're sorry you didn't ask permission first or you're sorry and I'm sorry and I'm sorry but... What have you reserved for the pressure that begins to build in your chest when you can't throw up the right word, when you realize you've wasted all your paper towels cleaning up spilt milk? And that's it.
0: The Howl is brought to you by The Howl Network a linked network of podcasts produced at Humberview Secondary School. I'm your host, Chris, and I would like to thank my producers, Grant and Mr. Cockell. Please take the time to check out the other shows on our network or at our website, www.humberviewhowl.com. You can also contact us directly at feedback at humberviewhowl.com.